Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Michael. Hello, everybody. My name's Michael. I'm a compulsive overeater and bulimic. It's good to be here in a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Last time I stood in front of you, I got it wrong and said the other program, but here I am. And I do thank God for my abstinence and my sobriety. Every morning I get up, I get on my knees, and I thank him from the bottom of my heart for the 12 steps. And Overeaters Anonymous, I've got an incredible life today. And I'm going to share, share that with you and share a lot of solution with you today. And um, I just want to uh, welcome all the newcomers. Because it's six short years ago when I, I came in here and I remember the seat that I actually... Actually, I, I sat in two seats at the time because I was 300 plus pounds and it was right at the back there. And I was, I was a broken man. You know, I was really a broken man and my life was com- re- really out of control and I didn't really know what else to do and I found my way into this room and this... This room is very special for me because this is where it all started for me, this incredible journey. And um, I want to welcome the newcomers because you are the most important people in this room. And uh, we've got to make a big fuss of you at the end, so don't, don't leave too early. And um, I say that because uh, people made a lot of uh, a big fuss of me and really put their hand out to me. And Mickey, every time I see Mickey, I, I just remember how kind he was to me when I came in here. And um, a lot of people were very kind to me. And, you know, I owe my life to this room and this program. And uh, I want to welcome my friend Jim, who I've got to know. Uh, last uh, yeah, first time at OA, and I'm glad you're here, Jim. And uh, I was just thinking about this driving over here. Uh, you know, I don't have any toxic people in my life. You know, there's no drama in my life. My life's quite boring, actually. <laughs> it's uh, it's not boring, but there's no drama in my life, and there's no toxic people in my life. And you know, I, I just have a really good life. You know, and for the most part, I'm very peaceful and calm inside, and uh, that, is, for me, is, is recovery. That really is, for me, recovery. And uh, happy birthday, Andrea, and uh, David, happy birthday. It's really good to have got to know, know you over the last couple of years, and, um, you know, you're inspirational. You know, the, the things you've been through, and you're here today to stand up and take, take that candle for two years, and... Um, before I, I get into my into my story and into my solution, I want to thank Erin for doing all the service and Ed around the podcast because the podcasts of this meeting are really very powerful. And five and a half years ago, we nearly stopped having the podcast at this meeting. I don't even know if some of you know the story. And it was Walter G., my first sponsor, who really pulled me out of a dark hole. And he was adamant that we keep the podcasts here and I was like Walter you seem really you know, obsessed about these podcasts why do we have to keep these podcasts and he said the message in this room is going to go you know far and wide and last year I, I, I had uh, the opportunity to travel to different states and, uh, and go to OA meetings and retreats I was asked to go to Arizona and share my story and I was up there in Northern California and Central California and I even got out invited all the way out to Montana so I do want to say to, hello to all my friends in Montana, Nadine, and I know this is in Rosie out in Arizona, and all the people in, in Overeaters Anonymous of Great Britain that email me as well. And it was funny, I went to this tiny little hotel up in this, out, up 
somewhere up in northern Montana to meet this group of women to share my experience, strength and hope. And I walked in and at the first break they came up to me and they said, uh, do you know Leslie E? <laughs> and uh, do you know Lee San? And do you know Martha? And I said, well, I know Martha quite well, yeah. And, uh, they said, well, can you get, can you get, can you get, have you got the telephone numbers? And I looked through my, my phone and I said, yeah, I've got them. And they were talking about these women in light a candlelight. They knew them. And I, I forgot for a minute. I said, well, how do you know these people? They're in Los Angeles in the podcasts. So that's how powerful these podcasts are. And I know uh, Rachel sponsors a, a lady up there in, in Montana through these podcasts and through the connection we've met there. So these podcasts really, really do work. But the thing is, nobody invited me back last year, so I couldn't have been very good. I got invited to all these places. So uh, I'm just letting you know there, Montana. You never and Arizona. Northern California. I couldn't have been that good. The, the accent wore off after a day, and then, well, I've heard all this before, so hopefully I'll do a better job today. So, you know, going back to uh, what it was like, and it's probably. And Katie, thank you for asking me and thank you for being such an inspiration and you know getting to know you in the last few months as well and um, you know the, the eating the eating disorder is uh, it's horrendous you know it's horrendous I'm an alcoholic as well I'm a recovering alcoholic I'm very active in AA as well but the, the eating is uh, it just takes on um, a whole new whole new meaning of addictions to me it really does because uh, this last seven days have been a real struggle for me because I've been in working in Las Vegas and uh, Las Vegas for me is probably the worst place it could be for a compulsive overeater, bulimic, alcoholic there's every single trigger known to man there and I had to spend seven days at Caesars Palace working 12 hours a day and every, every morning I'd get up and I would come down the elevator and I'd come onto the main floor and as I walked through the floor on the left hand side there was this crepes place that did all these crepes right chocolate crepes and they'd be like throwing these crepes up in the air and then on the other side there was this candy shop that had every single candy known to man and it had a lot of British candy and you know I'd be like looking on my left hand side and then my right hand side and then straight in front, in front of me is Las Vegas's best buffet and I could smell the food as I was walking through to the gym. I was going to the gym. <laughs> and uh, the guys that I work with are, are those kind of people that can eat with impunity. You know, don't they make you sick? Yeah. And uh, every morning they'd, we'd go and have a workout, and they'd always want to go in the buffet. And uh, you know, they'd be ordering the you know the huge big breakfast and I would have the same thing every morning I'd have that egg white omelette and spinach <laughs> <laughs> no bread and tea without milk and uh, I saw them looking at my breakfast every morning and they, you know I always, get the, I always get asked why I don't drink being Scottish why don't you drink so I always have to navigate that one and then uh, then I always get asked, why do you eat so healthily all the time? What is wrong with you? you know, and, um, I've got a friend at work who's, who's very close. I'm, you know, I'm close to him and I've got to know him and his wife pretty well. And uh, he was asking me, you know, on about the fourth morning he was asking me. It was, I don't know if you ever get this, but it gets really tiresome when people keep asking you what, why you always eat the way you eat. And why you don't drink. Why you don't gamble. You know, and, uh, and I told him. I kind of, uh, I felt compelled to tell him about, you know, what I was, and I told him, 
and I told him about my, my history and I said you know I used to weigh 333 pounds that was, and he went you and he couldn't believe it you know and then I told him a little bit about my, my alcoholism and being an AA and an OA and uh, you know normies find it fascinating you know and it was probably it was a good thing to do but it was also for the rest of the day he kept asking me questions about <laughs> it and, um, and um, but it, you know I trust him implicitly and it just felt you know it felt good to be able to tell somebody that you know outweigh the program it just did it just felt the right thing to do and you know the miracle of OA is that uh, I got through seven days in Las Vegas and ate healthily and got up every morning and worked out and um, did my prayers and managed to call people in program called my sponsor every day and uh, came back and was peaceful and sane uh, in, in Las Vegas for a whole seven days now to me that is miraculous you know that's the application of this program and the application of these steps and I live in ten, steps 10, 11 and 12 and I'll talk a little bit about the steps later but you know this is the miracle of it so the reason why I'm telling you this story is basically if you're really struggling today with the food whether you've been coming to a way a long time or whether you've just walked in the door there is a solution and uh, the smallest paragraph in the big book is the best paragraph and it says it works it really does mm -hmm. and it does it really does work and I tell my own sponsees that that you know if you really do go for this no half measures and you really try and change your character because it really is a change of character and it's really not about food and if you really go and you work these steps and you try and apply these steps in your life and you give back then the food will become significant to you and you'll get to the weight that you want to be and you'll feel comfortable and you'll feel peaceful and you'll, you'll, you'll find your way in this life and I honestly do believe that and that's what I've found in the last six years so you know going back a little bit to my story and, um, you know I, my earliest memory of compulsively overeating was um, Friday nights you know I'd be waiting for my father to come back from the pub and I knew there was always going to be a scene and I knew that my mother was going to get get it, you know, and I grew up in this alcoholic home. And, um, you know, I, I just remember my father dragging my mother across the floor by the head of her hair. And I was seven years of age and I couldn't do anything about it. And I used to run upstairs and I would hide under the covers. And I would, I would hoard chocolate under my bed. And I would eat this chocolate under my covers. And it just made me feel better. And it took all the fear and the anxiety away and you know that's what that was the first thing I found to kind of handle all the situations that I found myself in and as I got into my teens I got really into sport it was kind of uh, you know I was really into soccer football we call it where I come from and rugby you know I played a lot of sport and I got really good at it and I went away and played you know college soccer and um, you know but I had this eating disorder that was growing and building and growing and getting stronger in my teens and you know I would be hiding chocolate and hiding food and you know I would be you know working out and throwing up at the end of it and I thought that was normal and healthy you know I'd go out running and I'd run so hard you know and I'd throw up down the front, front of my shirt and I'd hide the, the vomit stained shirt and the, and the garage and I'd go in and I'd put a, a fresh shirt on and I would, you know I'd, these behaviours went on and on and on and I had no idea that I was suffering from bulimia I had no idea what that was I just knew I liked food everybody liked food where I came from you know I come from a country that deep fry Mars bars and eat them you know <laughs> and, um, 
you know, and that's where I come from. Fish suppers and a deep fried Mars bar and a bottle of lemonade, you know. Overeaters Anonymous in Scotland know exactly what I'm talking about as they're listening to this podcast. And that's, you know, that, that was the way I grew up. And then alcohol played a huge part in my story as well. You know, everybody drank. And uh, I didn't like the taste of alcohol at first. I really didn't, but I loved the effects it had on me, you know, after that second drink. And I used to drink to not eat, and I used to eat to not drink. And I couldn't get through a single day without either eating or drinking. And this went on and on and on and on until, you know, you know, I always wanted to come to America. You know, I was fascinated by America. And I, I first came here, uh, I was playing soccer at college and I had a, a, the opportunity to come to America in 1992 to come and coach and play. And I came over to Boston and, uh, you know, the food was still there and the alcohol was still there, but I had a lot of purpose in my life. You know, I was very excited about my life and I was playing soccer and I would playing soccer every day I kept in good shape so I could hide that compulsive eating and I was still throwing up nobody knew about it but I just had a lot of purpose so it wasn't really taking on you know the kind of um, the kind of dangerous effects that it later did and then I came back here 12, 13 years ago and it really just took over you know and I found myself in a strange city without a job without any friends and uh, you know very lonely and there was alcohol and food and it just took it just took control of me and I just got bigger and bigger and bigger you know and I was a beast and I couldn't even look in the mirror in the morning when I got up you know I'd get into the shower and I, you know I was just I just couldn't look at it I couldn't look at myself and um, you know I was constantly on my own always on my own you know and I would Friday nights I was living in Pasadena and I would uh, you know a typical Friday night for me would be um, you know going to a diner and stuffing my face, you know, I could hardly fit into the booth and, you know, coming out of the diner and throwing up down the side of my car and vowing that I wouldn't do it again. You know, that is the last time I'm never going to do this again. You know, and I couldn't tell anybody. You know, being a man and bulimic is the hardest thing, you know. You know, bulimia seems to be a disease associated with women and gay men. It just is. I haven't met many straight male bulimics, you know, I really haven't. And I had nobody to talk to. Nobody. I couldn't share this with anybody. And, um, you know, it just got out of hand. And, uh, you know, I just remember, they, they say in AA, remember your last drunk. I can remember my last binge. And it was a Sunday morning in January 2008. And uh, I just remember that uh, I couldn't vomit anymore. I just, my body had given up doing that. And I was this huge obese man, and I was sitting uh, in this dingy apartment in Pasadena, clinging on to a job. And, um, you know, I just thought, is this the American dream? You know, I came to this country. No, I'm being serious. But, you know, I came to this country, I had this dream of being successful and doing well. And, uh, you know, this is where it had taken me to, you know. And um, I'd heard about OA, and I typed in eating disorders into Google. And it came back with Overeaters Anonymous in it. And I'd already been to one AA meeting. And I went out and I, I, I got, I looked on the meeting list and I found there was a, a men's stag in Glendora on a Sunday night. And uh, the name, the contact name was a guy called Daryl. And I called him. I'd come to the end of the road. I could not go on. And I called him in his friendly voice, picked the phone up. And he said, yeah, come out, you know, uh, come and meet me and I'll introduce you to some of the men. And he was just so friendly. And I went out there and it, 
it was the strangest story my first away meeting you know I walked in I've shared this before but I walked into my first away meeting this old rickety uh, away clubhouse in Glendora and um, I was I got there 20 minutes early and there was nobody there away nobody nobody turned up till five minutes before <laughs> just kidding <laughs> they were there an hour before away five minutes before so anyway uh, except for light a candle um, I walked in and I sat down and there was a, there was one guy there and he was lying in the middle of the floor this guy and uh, I mean can you imagine a newcomer uh, I, didn't know, I didn't know what to do and, and uh, I knew I was that desperate that I didn't turn around I just came in and he, and he sat up when he saw me and he said you believe in God and I said yeah and he said good and laid back down again and, uh, and I was terrified I just didn't know what to do so uh, I sat down and in came this guy called Daryl and a couple of other guys and they made me feel so welcome and I just felt better I just felt better you know and it, an amazing story I didn't I never met Daryl I went oh and he told me about this meeting light a candle meeting and he said there's an Irish guy there called Mickey and uh, go over there and there's some young people and they go for a coffee afterwards and it's in Brentwood it's a great meeting so I did I came the following Saturday to the Brentwood meeting and I've been coming ever since and the funny thing about this guy Daryl I never saw him again for years until five and a half years ago and they asked me to go back to that old rickety OA clubhouse and speak on the 25th anniversary the foothill over whatever it was and I walked in and it was all women and uh, I walked in and you know I did my pitch and made them laugh and told them how great my life was and always oh, the greatest thing ever and you know and he walked in halfway through my my share as I was telling the story about the guy lying in the middle of the floor he walked in Daryl you know Daryl don't you and he walked and he sat down and I went that's the guy who picked the phone up and he looked at me and he just didn't recognize me which is such a great thing, you know, that he didn't recognize me, right? Didn't problems if he had to recognize me. So, I just, these little things that happen in a way are just, um, you know, God-given, you know, God-given. So, I found my way into Overeaters Anonymous, and I knew very quickly that I'd found the solution to what I'd been looking for for most of my life, all of my life and uh, I found a sponsor that was an AA in OA and he had everything that, you know, all the problems that I had and he had a solution to it and, and this guy, Walter, took me to all these meetings, AA, OA he just took me all over the place and uh, he made me do a lot of service and I didn't like doing a lot of service you know, he made me get there early and put chairs out and he made me go around the room shaking hands of people and I didn't really like doing that either but the more I did this, things got better and better and better. And I started losing the weight. And, you know, I dropped like 120 pounds in the first year. And then I started running and working out and all the, all the, the good things that come with losing a lot of weight when you're obese. And the, and the bulimia really cleared up. You know, it kind of cleared up. But he was insistent that I do a lot of service. And he was insistent that I do the steps thoroughly and I make an amends. And so, you know, off I went and, um, you know, I went work, work through the first nine steps. And, you know, I take my own sponsees through these first nine steps the way and everything is out of the book, you know. 
and I carry the big book with me everywhere and I read it every single day you know it comes with me and I, I bought it here I did the literature here with Lucy for like 18 months and I bought this little big book from here and I write all my prayers in this book and I carry it everywhere and I'll give you a, an example of how powerful this book is you know last night I was I went to an OA meeting and I was tired and um, I was feeling really lonely last night you know and Martha's away in Canada and you know I, I just didn't have anybody to call or so my mind told me I was in a real place of alcoholism and I just felt lonely and the food was calling me you know it still calls me I don't act on it but it still calls me alcohol never calls me food still calls me and I was sitting uh, on Santa Monica Boulevard and I was near 7-Eleven Bundy and Al- uh, Santa Monica Boulevard and the idea came into my head it would be a good idea to go in that 7-Eleven and bit, buy a big tub of ice cream I mean these are the things that go through my mind and I pulled out my big book and I opened it up and it was at the part the whiskey in the milk Jim the car salesman and I read that and I've read this a hundred times the whiskey in the milk but there was a part in the story that I read and I'm sitting here on the side of the road reading the big book at 8.30 last night and it says that he felt slightly irritated before he went out to visit a prospect that he was going to sell a car to and he felt slightly irritated that the concern that he worked for used to be his business and is no longer his business so he's in a bit of resentment there and I've been in a bit of resentment the last couple of days you know how, why do I have to go to Las Vegas for seven days I'm working 14 hours a day my boss doesn't tell me he doesn't thank me enough you know alcoholic poor me ego self-obsession and this little resentment's growing and I hadn't done a step 10 on it you know I hadn't done a step 10 on it so I'm reading this and it came to my mind that the reason why he put the whiskey in the milk was because of the resentment that he had before he even went into the sandwich shop and when the food is calling me there is always something behind it these thoughts don't just come into my head when I binged and purged it was the state of my mind leading up to that binge or that purge and so I have to act upon that very quickly and I'm jumping around the steps here but step 10 specifically tells me in the big book that I need to watch out for resentment and fear selfishness and dishonesty it tells me about those four things and it's very specific in the big book it says when these things crop up that I need to ask God to remove them immediately and I did, I was there, I thought well I'm going to pray about this I'm going to pray God can you remove this resentment that I've got towards my work, my boss and the resentment I had towards Martha why is she not here, why is she in Canada why is she not with me You know, she's come to visit her family, how dare she she'd be with me yeah. self-obsession, selfishness so there was resentment, there was selfishness there was no dishonesty you know, but there was fear there's always fear and so this fear's inside me I'm, I might actually go into that 7-Eleven now if you have the disease that I've got you will completely understand that if you're a compulsive overeater and a bulimic you will completely understand that alcoholics don't understand that unless it's about alcohol I taught them but you guys understand it so I prayed and, I, and then I called my sponsor and I told him exactly I couldn't get hold of him I left a message but there's two other parts of that step 10 that take me away from the food and it says in the big book that I have to make an amends if one is needed well, there wasn't an amends needed to be made but the fourth part of it is the crucial part and if I don't do this fourth part of the 10 step I will go into that 7-11 and it says that I resoundly turn my thoughts to someone else 
Now, it's really, really easy, in my opinion, to treat an eating disorder. Very, very simple. Not easy. Very, very simple. And so I called a couple of people and asked how they were doing. In One in OA, one in AA. And the thought of that ice cream and the resentments and the fear disappeared. And that's the magic of this book. I've got... It, it's in my back pocket. Every day it's in my back pocket. And when I do what it tells me to do, I feel happy, joyous and free. And I don't go into that 7-Eleven and I go on with my day and I went home and it was kind of, you know, a bit lonely going in, no lights on and I walked in there and so immediately I say a prayer and then I call Martha and I go to bed and I'm abstinent. And so I have to work hard at this, you know. I really dedicate myself to this because my life is too precious I don't want to be 330 pounds again. I don't want to be throwing up down the side of my car. I don't want to be scooping vomit out of my car. I don't want to be obsessing about the way I look. I don't want to walk into a room and feel I'm the only person there and nobody wants to talk to me. You know, I don't want to be like that. Ten minutes left. So, getting into the solution, there's one solution there. So really, living in steps 10, 11, and 12 every day, that was a an application of step 10. Now, step 11, I do every night. Every night I write out. And it's in the big book. There's 10 things in step 11 that I write out. Prayer and meditation are really important. Now, the meditation side of it, I haven't really perfected. But prayer, I don't do the bookend prayer anymore. You know, I, don't get, you know, I do get on my knees in the morning. And, you know, I'll, I'll read Emmett Fox. I love Emmett Fox. And I'll read the big book in the 12 and 12. And I'll ask God to be with me. But I remember to take God with me all through the day. You know, and I haven't got my watch on tonight because it broke, but typically I put my watch on the other, I'm left-handed and I put it on my right hand. And I'll look at my watch. I was in Vegas. Why is my watch on my right hand? That's to remind me that I need to check in with he that has all power, my creator. And I'll say the seven-step prayer in my head because it's my favorite prayer. Or I'll say the, you know, the serenity prayer. I'll just simply ask him to be with me, to help me. Can you guide me through today? Can you protect me from my thinking? Can you just be with me? Can you help me help somebody today? And when I do that, my day goes very, very well. And it takes a lot of discipline to do that. Huge amount of discipline. But, you know, it's like anything. The more I work at it, mental habit, mental habit of thought, the more I work at it, the easier it gets. And so I do remember to do this. And then at the end of the night, I write out my 11th step, you know, and the first thing is, um, I think it's on page 88, when we retire at night, we re- constructively review our day, the first thing was I resentful to anybody, and I write the names down, and sometimes there's two or three people that I'm resentful to, and then it says to me, was I selfish, I put down any incidents when I was selfish, was I dishonest, do I owe anybody an apology? You know, um, do I need to discuss something with my sponsor? One of the key things that I've learned in this program to keep me clean from the food is I have to tell my sponsor everything. There is nothing I don't keep from him. No, how, no matter how ashamed I am of what I've done, I have to tell him. And I, my sponsor at the moment is somebody that I trust implicitly that works this program. I only choose people. That I, my sponsor is somebody who works this program and I see it in his life. And so, you know, I have to trust him and I tell him everything. You know, um, was I kind and loving to all? You know, that's part of step 11 as well. You know, was I kind? Did I hold the door open at Ralph's for that lady? You know, 
that I say good morning when I was walking down this I have to do these things you know these tiny little things that I take my shopping cart back at the supermarket I do these things my sponsor gets on to me if I don't you know um, this was a, you know was I thinking of myself most of the time you know and what did I do for others that's a big one what did I do for others I always have to have somebody's name on my list every day if I don't it's going to be a bad day the following day you know constant the thought of others the constant thought of others now I'm not constantly thinking of you I'm going to be honest with you <laughs> but it's getting a lot better and uh, I think somebody shared when they came up um, you know I'm not constantly thinking I'm self-obsessed well the progress I've made in this is that I'm not constantly thinking of me anymore I'm not always thinking of you but I'm not thinking of me and to me that's good progress for six years in this program but I am thinking more and more of you and it comes to sponsorship and you know I do put my hand up and I have uh, I was talking to Jim today you know I sponsor men and women and gay men you know the full spectrum you know I sponsor whoever asks me to, to help them I'll try and help them and um it was for about two years I just couldn't get anybody through the steps it was driving me crazy every time I got them to the fourth step they disappeared you know <laughs> if I got them through the fourth step they disappeared at the eighth step because they didn't want to do the ninth step when they saw what I was doing at 10, 11 and 12 nobody wanted to do that <laughs> you know and then I came across Jane now you probably know Jane and you know young Jane and, and she came and asked me to sponsor her you know and I thought what is she asking me for you know, and she was the first person I got through all 12 steps, and her life has changed beyond belief. You know, I'm sure most of you know her, and she's spoken here, and she keeps in touch with me today. And from her, then it was, it was like a domino effect. You know, more and more people, and I started getting all these people, all women, through the steps, and I was saying to my friend, I've got to find a man that wants to go through the steps. You know, <laughs> so this gay guy asked me in West Hollywood, and, and you know, he got through it, and, um, to so this point, I haven't got a straight man through the steps. So straight men, if you want to go through the steps, please ask me. This, this one straight guy would be nice. Okay. Uh, and a bulimic straight guy would just be the jackpot. So that, you know, that's step 11. And then it takes me on to step 12. And uh, step 12 says, having had a spiritual awakening. You know, it sounds a bit kind of, oh, about it, this spiritual awakening. I don't know. I have had a spiritual awakening. I don't know what that means. I just am a, a nicer person than I was six years ago, but there's a lot of work to be done yet. You know, there's still a lot of work to be done. And uh, as a result of these steps, it says, try to carry this message. You know, I do speak a lot at AA and OA, and, and that has its uh, a double effect as well, because then my ego starts getting stroked a little bit, you know, and, you know, speaking more and more at AA. I've done all my, I've done the OA circuit now, the AA, and I've got to remind myself that, you know, it's to help those when I come to a meeting and I'm sharing about my experience. It's not to glow, not to, you know, here's my OA badge. It's to, hopefully somebody in here today will ask me to take them through the steps at the end of this this pitch, that's why I'm here today, to carry that message. And to, you know, Bill, when he wrote these steps, left it right towards the end, the hardest part he left at the end, to practice these principles in all of our affairs. You know, if you're a bulimic, compulsive, overeater, alcoholic, I have a lot of compassion for you, because I know the pain you've got in. The rest of you, I don't know. You know, when you're on the 405... You're cutting me off on the 405. Sometimes it's hard to find that compassion, but I do. I have to practice these <laughs> principles in all of my affairs. And uh, I've got a job at the moment. You know, I've been working for the same company, and 
for the last six years and uh, at the moment I've got it I'm in a position where it's helping a lot of people you know it's helping I work with small medium-sized businesses and help them get started and you know there is an opportunity to go and help them and I do speak and train and coach in my job as well and I always put little 12 step slogans in there and on Thursday this guy came up to me I'd done this 90 minute class in Vegas and he came up to me and he went you're, you're one of us aren't you <laughs> you're a friend of Bill and I went how did you guess as I'm sipping my sparkling water talking to him so it was all, they're, they're, we're everywhere you know we're all out there so you know I'm just going to finish on this um, it, it is the great it's the, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me Alcoholics Anonymous and Overeaters Anonymous and, and this design this way of living is just incredible and uh, I'm really excited for my life and the future and I've got a lot of hope a lot of hope and uh, if you've got no hope today you know just keep coming here and talk to people and um, you know find that person that's doing it doing the deal and I don't mean somebody can stand up here and articulate the 12 steps and quote every page in the big book I mean somebody who's really living it in their life you know practicing these principles in all of our affairs and every sponsor I've had and every friend that I've got that I, that I meet in AA I choose them carefully I choose them very carefully because I need to have good people in my life because I learn from them so I think that's all I've got it's good to see everybody and uh, um, see you next year Montana Hopefully. Right. Okay, thanks. Yeah. We got time for a question. All right, who wants to ask a question? Uh, I've, I've travelled uh, internationally with uh, my structure. What was the food the food? Control. The food is out of my control. Yeah, I have. A, I've been back to the UK, um, back to Scotland and England a couple of times, and uh, I travel a lot domestically and over to Canada as well. But when I'm traveling, it's the, the most challenging aspect, whether I'm in, uh, abroad or whether I'm in the, in the States. And you're asking me how I deal with that. The tools of OA are very effective to me. What I do is my iPhone, I, I write down everything that I eat during the day. And if I keep on track of that, it's just a real good tool to have where I write, you know, I type in an email to myself of exactly what I've eaten. Even if it's messy, I still put it in because as an alcoholic compulsive overeater, I'm, I'm in dis discipline. It says it in the big book and I need God to help discipline me. And that's a tool that helps me. I also make calls to people. Um, airports are particularly difficult for me. I was at Vegas Airport yesterday without breakfast. And I need breakfast. I couldn't find anywhere that had anything healthy to eat in the entire airport. I walked up and down. So in the end, I just had a coffee and a fruit cup from Starbucks and I sat and opened up my big book. This really helps when I'm traveling. Open it up and I read it. And I've got a prayer for you, which I'm going to quickly, if I've got time. It's an away prayer. And I thought, forgot to mention it earlier. Um, I, I say this prayer to myself when I'm traveling. It says, Lord, today is a new day for me. And with you, it can be a new day of abstinence. With you, I can handle anything. I ask for your protection today from anyone or anything that may interfere with my abstinence. And I'm asking now for your protection in case sometime during the day, my desire to compulsively eat becomes stronger than my desire to abstain. I know that I am powerless over food and that my life can become unmanageable again. I now turn my life and will over to you. That prayer is magical. And I can go anywhere, anywhere on this planet, a free man, happy, joyous, and free, by the grace of God. I think that's it, right? Thank you.